There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. In April of 2022, the Manassas Community Baptist Church of Blaine, Pennsylvania, hosted our King James Bible Conference. Pastor John Asquith, who is the pastor of the Black Creek Baptist Church in Black Creek, New York, was our guest speaker for three nights of conference. We've taken these messages and we've broken them into 15 podcasts, so that'll be three weeks, approximately 15 minutes per day, of King James Bible instruction and teaching. And Brother John deals with the history of the King James Bible. He deals with the authority of the King James Bible. And then lastly, he deals most of all, most importantly of all, I should say, He deals with what the King James Bible can do for you. And so I pray these messages are a help. I pray that they're a blessing to each of you as you listen to the conference. And yet, when England went Protestant, the people rejoiced. Why? Because of the work of of Wycliffe's preachers. They had been going through the hills for 200 years and preaching to the people up in the hills at the great risk of their own life. And when Henry VIII and ones took what's called the Great Bible, and you got yeah, the Great Bible right here. This Bible here, they got put into English. It was so valuable that it had to be chained to every pulpit. So that no one would walk out with it. And there are eyewitness accounts of a man standing in a pulpit, the church as full as it could be, but outside, as far as you can see, there's crowds, even going up into the hills, crowds. And the man would read something from the Psalms, and criers would cry it out to the people, and then they would sing using one of those old hymns, Old 100, or something of that sort. And there's eyewitnesses of thousands of people singing these psalms together. Rejoicing that the word of God is there and the average man can have it. No other nation ever did that. No other nation. Rejoicing because the word of God is there and we can have it. Okay, Eyewitness accounts to that. England is just like any other country. Got a lot of screwy people, a lot of wicked people, a lot of bad people, a lot of good people. Just like any place, just like any family, any church, any county, any any place. But they set their minds and their national goal to have a perfect Bible. Go with me to Psalm chapter 12. That's why people don't understand it, but this new drive for these new Bibles is actually undermining the very foundations of English and American liberty. They're trying to bring back the same Bibles that that the Roman Catholic Church used to enslave people and bring those Bibles back and give them to people. 
Say, well, it's easier to read. Well, so are comic books. Okay? I heard a preacher say one time, somebody said, well, that's easier to read. He said, well, Playboy's easier to read. Doesn't mean I'll be reading it. Psalm chapter 12, look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, it didn't say purify them in heaven. It said purify them in a furnace of earth. Now, I want you to imagine being an old silversmith. Somebody's brought you some silver. I have a friend of mine who, when he lived in Montana, used to go and pan gold on the weekends. And he said you'd make about minimum wage. It would be a fun way to spend up on a river and pan gold, and you'd come down, and you'd make about minimum wage if you were up there for 10 hours back in those days. Minimum wage was $3. You'd come back about $30 worth of gold. But he said it was just a fun way to spend the day, panning gold in the river and coming back. And then you took it to the assayer's office who would take that gold and weigh it to see how pure it is. And he said one of the beauties in Montana is some of the purest gold in the world. Okay? But some gold isn't as pure as others. What do they have to do then? You have to melt that gold so that the dross, so the impurities go out of it. So a silversmith, that's what he does. He takes and he melts silver in a kiln and he watches that little white smoke coming out, those impurities going out. We're told that he does it seven times. First time you do it, boy, that silver's pure. No, that old silversmith says, not yet. And he brings it to a boil again. And you want, oh, you're amazed. A little more white smoke came out. You know, oh, it's pure now. I said, no, not yet. He does it again. Oh, it's, it's perfect now. No. Finally, he's done it six times, and just a couple little puffs of white smoke came out. It's perfect now. The old silversmith says, nope, seventh time. No, you got it. And he boils it, and you're laughing. All of a sudden, you see that little bit of white smoke come out. He knew what he was talking about. Took seven times to purify it. The King James Bible, once modern English started, one, two, three, four, Five, six, purifies seven times. <laughs> <laughs> In a furnace of earth. Each one of those, being men who took and read the Bibles before them and went through them carefully and kept looking. What kind of scholars are we talking about? Well, I read recently that when the Manhattan Project was being done, there were three men from one high school in Hungary. One of them could divide eight-digit numbers into eight-digit numbers in his head when he was six years old. How do we train people like that today? Nuclear physics, astronomy, that's what they were trained in. You know what they were trained in back in 15 and 1600? Bible and language. Bible and language, the most brilliant men on earth. When you talk, by the way, the King James translators couldn't even get out of high school unless they could read Greek and Hebrew perfectly. Perfectly. They read Socrates, Aristotle, all the Peloponnesian Wars, all of Plato, every one of the plays. They've read them. They've talked about it. They can speak about it. 
Then they went on to really study the language. Okay? Now, for example, as far as I can see, everybody here can speak English. But, is there anybody here who feels they could go to Harvard's English class? Okay? I bet there's nobody here who feels they could do that. Okay? These men then went and really learned the Greek language. Really learned the Hebrew language. Dr. Thomas Holland, when he was 12 years old, would get requests from all over Europe for his opinion on how to translate certain Hebrew texts when he was 12 years old. These are men who watched their teachers burn at the stake for the Word of God. These are men who would get up and go to class at 3 o'clock in the morning and their students had to stand and they would teach them who learned this stuff and could talk about it in all these languages. One of them spoke over 30 languages and it was said when you talked to him, you thought he was a native of your land. Your land. He could speak it so well. These men then slowly went through each of these and finally came up with the seventh purified, and they called it a perfect translation. Right. That's what they called it. Anybody here feel they're educated enough to argue with them? Let me tell you something else. They had an agreement that every single word had to be unanimous. They start out with 54 of them, probably about 47 lived through the whole thing. They had to unanimously agree on every word how they'd translate it. In other words, if three quarters of them thought it should be translated one way and one quarter thought it should be translated another way, they couldn't put it down. Why is that important? It's important because one generation after these men died, England fought a civil war based on some of the words in that Bible. What do we mean by that? Well, England conceived two different types of government. One of them was government by bishops. Another one was government by presbyter. What's presbyter? Meaning just the common people in the church voting. If you think about it, the Baptists, we're not Presbyterians, but we use the Presbyter system. Your pastor today is a pastor for a couple reasons. Number one, because God made him a pastor. But number two, this church agrees that he should be the pastor. If the majority of the people agreed otherwise, he couldn't be the pastor anymore. Okay? That's Baptist rules. The Presbyter thought that, the Presbyterians. The Episcopalians, by the way, Episcopalian, that's just Latin for bishop. Okay? They believed that kings appointed bishops and bishops made the church to Rome. So sometimes how you translated a word meant a huge difference. Let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus Christ said, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay? That's how the King David Bible is. You know, most of the new Bibles say the kingdom of God is among you. Okay? Now, what's the difference? Well, what is the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom of God the churches and armies and governments? Or is the kingdom of God a spiritual thing inside of you? Which one is it? If you thought the kingdom of God was armies and castles and church buildings, you were what was called an Episcopalian. You believed in the rule by bishops. You thought the kingdom of God is among you. That our whole kingdom, all the counties and everything, that's all part of God's kingdom. 
Therefore, the king could tell you what church to go to. A bishop could have you put in jail. Okay? But if you believe the kingdom of God is within you, then it's a private thing between you and God. Right. And nobody can touch that. Okay. That's, the, that's what the Baptists believe. Okay? It's called the, the liberty of the believer, the conscience of the believer, that no one can touch your conscience whatsoever. Okay? No one can tell you what to believe. But here's what the problem is. The Greek word can mean either one. Let me use an example. I bit my tongue for pain. Did I bite my tongue because I was in so much pain I bit my tongue? That could mean it. I was in so much pain I was biting my tongue. Or maybe my tongue is numb and I'm trying to see if the Novocaine's gone yet. I'm biting my tongue to see if there's pain. I bit my tongue for pain to try to make pain. That English word can mean either, can't it? Right. Two completely different meanings. Well, that Greek word could do the same thing. You can take that Greek word and it could mean the kingdom of God's among you or the kingdom of God's within you. They're about to fight a civil war in the next generation over that very thing. And here's what they did. They assigned one man <coughs> said, we want you to study this. <coughs> it took 10 months. He looked at every single place that that preposition was used. Aristotle, Socrates, the Peloponnesian Wars, all the Greek tragedies, all those things. And at the end, when they're all together, he said, gentlemen, the kingdom of God is within you. And not one single man argued when they saw the evidence. And some of them were devastated because they were as separated as Democrats and Republicans. Some of them were humiliated, and yet they knew he has the proof. And then some little twit from Bob Jones University, three years of Greek, is going to come and tell you how that ought to be translated. Mm. Some little twit's going to hand you an ESV and say, this is more accurate. Uh, for whatever reason, it has pleased God to give the English-speaking people a perfect Bible. It has pleased Him. What has been the result of that? The result of it has been at one time, the sun never set, but that English soldiers weren't somewhere in the bright noon guarding missionaries. That God has used the English language to conquer the world. If we were to go through here, we had the descendants of many different people, and yet we all come together and speak one language. It's a unifying language. You know what the Bible said in the book of Genesis? When God confounded the languages, he said the people are one and their language is one. And he said there is nothing they can imagine they can't do. Think of that scientifically. Speed of light. Travel to stars. Go backward in time. If you can imagine it, God said you could do it if you all spoke one language. You know what's happened since the world all speaks English in scientific journals? Scientific knowledge is going through the roof. Our children will be able to go to Mars. Okay? We do things. <clears throat> Trying to find where. Oh, here's my phone. I used to work for a place called Radio Shack. In 1980, it would have cost about $1,000 to have a reel to reel tape player and maybe, and it would probably have cost about five, six thousand. A reel to reel tape player, some kind of a computer, uh, recorders, and. Uh, uh, cassette players and all that kind of stuff. Today, it's all here. Every bit of that's here. It bankrupted Radio Shack. 
The idea that anybody could just pick this up. Do you realize in this phone here, I have more computing power than all of NASA did when they sent the first men to the moon? Yeah. I have more computing power right here than all their computers together back when the first moon landing happened. Okay, why? Because the whole world speaks in English. If a Russian scientist wanted to share his paper with an Indonesian scientist, he'd write it in English. Right. When a Japanese airliner wants to land in India, they speak in English. Okay? Why? When the government, when all the 150 different dialects of India get together to have a parliament, they speak in English. Why? Because the English people honored the word of God and God honored the English people and put it here. Does it make English people better? Not that I've ever noticed. Okay? Just as crummy and just as sinful and just as terrible as every other people on earth. But what advantage do we have? God committed the oracles of God to us. It's a wonderful thing. Tomorrow we're going to look at the practical applications. What's it mean to you to have a perfect life? Father, thank you for what we've learned tonight. And I do pray that you bless us and, and just make the word of God to be rich in our lives. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord, as he cries for forgiveness and mercy. God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania. 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption all at night. Now the angels of God are rejoicing for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.